The Matt Hasselback Show. Presented by Infinity of Bellevue and Linwood. Seahawks legend Matt Hasselback takes you inside the Seahawks and the NFL for a full hour. Exclusively on the Mike Sox Show. Hello, Matt. How are we? What's up? How are you? We're good, man. A little better doing this the week after a Seahawks win and a short week coming up here with a game tomorrow than some of the uh, hand-wringing that everybody had last week. There's a lot more fun this week. I loved the short week as a player. I know people, it gets a bad rap because it's obviously a short week. It's tough physically, but as a quarterback, I absolutely loved it. What was it? What 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 did you love about it? I think the biggest thing is that, you know, the, I knew that the defenses didn't have time to create or invent new blitzes or anything new. Like, that was such a treat for me. So, like, anything they were going to do, they had already probably put on film. Hmm. And so if you're going up against a complicated defense, which unfortunately the Rams aren't really that, they're just talented, but you, you just went into it with uh, the defense was going to be more simple. And quite honestly, sometimes the offense is going to be more simple, and we're not going to outsmart ourselves, and we're going to just get to go out and play fast, and we play, we run the plays that are our bread and butter, our favorite plays, the plays that we could all run with our eyes closed. And uh, there was just something super great about that. I loved it. And then you get the mini buy on the weekend, you know, which is also fun. You get to watch the Red Zone channel for, like, the only week of the entire season besides your real buy. So yeah. I enjoyed it. Well, I, I can see all that. It's interesting. I think the Rams haven't even practiced this week. Both both days, their practice report has been estimated rather than actual. So I don't even know if they're practicing. Yeah, and that's normal. And and I would even say when Pete Carroll came to Seattle, that was one of the more shocking things to me because we practice hard when we practiced, but we did a tremendous amount of walkthrough practices. Like I want to say, like the second half of the season in 2010. Every red zone day was like, yeah, just walk through it, jog through. I think we maybe called it a jog through. And just in no throwing, point to the guy that you would have thrown to in the red zone. And I'm sitting there like, I'm sitting there like, just like, wait, wait, what about timing, rhythm, accuracy, like all this stuff? And, and, you know, the, I think the great teams, you want to have your best players on the field. You got to figure out a way to practice more intelligently or get reps when you can. And, um, and then, you know, the other thing is like Pete, and, you know, maybe it sounds like the Rams did that this week. Sometimes just sitting in a meeting, I don't care what kind of meeting it is, you're just sitting in a dark room and there's film on the on the screen or something. It's Some people just learn better when they're standing up, maybe on the field, walking through it instead of doing, uh, you know, pencil and pen on a notebook or something like that. Hmm. Uh, what did you make of what you did see from the Seahawks? Were they better or were the Niners just beat up and not as good? I mean, what 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 did we learn about the Seahawks this week? Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I mean, the Niners are definitely beat up. But no, I think the Seahawks are better, clearly better. And they're finding out who they are a little bit and what they can and cannot do defensively. But but just offensively uh, for, you know, for whatever it's worth, like I thought I thought Russell Wilson played great. I thought the wide receivers, when given opportunities, played great. The running game was good. You know, they had the sacks early. And then, you know, maybe a couple of the sacks were on the offensive line. Maybe one was on Russ. And then for the rest of the game, Russ saved them from sacks. And one was that Houdini play to Swain, which was just, you know, ridiculous. So like, put that on the career highlight tape. But uh, it was fun. It was, I, I thought it was a great, great, uh, great outing by Seattle. And you can't apologize for the fact that the other team went to their backup quarterback. Um, 
I thought the third down package, which obviously has been an emphasis for the defense, was way better. And uh, how so? They brought they, I mean, obviously well, it worked, I mean, but what, what was better about it? Because Pete was so focused on that third down thing last week. Yeah, well, he had to be. They were so atrocious at it the week before. <laughs> but that—that's what's so encouraging when you have a weakness in the NFL and you focus on it and you make it. You go from you make it. It was a weakness and now is a strength. Uh, you know, it's just impre- it's like just really impressive. Like I thought the Diggs interception on the third down was so great. It was just a great disguise. Uh, it was kind of a three-safety look. It reminded me, actually, of, I think, I'm trying to remember what we called it in Seattle. I think we called it a ruby package, but where it was three safeties, where it was Lawyer Malloy, Earl Thomas, and Cam Chancellor all on the field at the same time, and it gave the illusion that, it, in our case, like, Lawyer was the deep safety, but he really was not a deep safety. He was kind of a robber kind of guy. And that's what I thought Diggs had on that one interception on the third down, which is uh, just so huge. I mean, I think we talked about it last week. Seattle and Pete Carroll's philosophy thrives on creating turnovers. Mm-hmm. So they got not only did they get a turnover, they got a turnover on a third and I think it was like a third and three, like a third and shorter third down. You know, and then special teams gets the the fumble recovery on the kickoff. It just it was just I thought exactly how Pete wants to be. Yeah. Uh, you know, no, it was a Pete Carroll game. He was saying afterwards that he wasn't going to apologize for it being sloppy early and better late. He kind of prefers things that way. He sure doesn't mind getting off to a slow start. Well, it, it, I think what's his saying? He's got a saying. It's like you can't win the game in the first quarter. That's exactly what he says. Uh, is that, So, you know, and it's he's right. But I, I just even above that, I thought he really loved what the offense was doing as well because – you know, this whole idea, I'm not sure, you know, I'm not really sure how you guys talk about it out there, but the whole idea about, like, let Russ cook last year, I, I see, like, even when he's not throwing for 300, 400 yards or whatever, I see him doing phenomenal things at the line of scrimmage that he maybe doesn't get credit for. Like, he throws for less than 150 yards in this game, but I thought he was outstanding. And I've seen him have other games where it's like, you know, he's winning someone's fantasy league for him. And I say to myself, I'm like, ah, I just don't know if that's going to fit with who the Seahawks are identity-wise for consistent winning football. And I think that that happened a little bit last last year. But to me, I thought Russell Wilson was absolutely amazing. Mm. Like, he played above the X's and O's. Like, his, his checks at the line of scrimmage to help out the run game, you know, help the run game be successful. His quarterback run touchdown was super, super, super impressive. But, the, the like, the just the above the X's and O's, when the defense does everything right and you're running, like, a bread-and-butter offensive pass play and and – and, you know, he scrambles for a touchdown. Like, that's just Russell Wilson being better than everyone else you have on your team. And then the Houdini one where they bring the jet sweep and Kyle Shanahan and those guys had a plan for it. We're going to blitz your jet sweep motion guy. And we got, a, we got you for a sack in the red zone. And he does his Houdini move and throws the touchdown. It's like, wow. Like, you just played better than any person on this field could play. And that's that's the reason... You didn't. You didn't force it. That 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 play. That opportunity came to you, and you made it happen. And I just thought it was outstanding. Well, you echo almost everything Pete said afterwards. He was also super complimentary. He actually said it was a Bart Starr kind of game, like under 150 <laughs> yards, but he ran for that? a touchdown. Oh, oh. And yeah, Pete went old school. I, he's 70, man. You got to give Pete the... Bart Starr, great guy, great guy. <laughs> really? By the way. Yeah. Well, you must have gotten guy. to know all those legendary Packers, right? Uh, you know, I, my first time meeting Bart Starr was in an elevator, and uh, it's just me. It's earlier in the morning. It's dark, and it's uh, literally it's like five or six in the morning, and I'm in the elevator with this old man, and I'm like, oh, you know, 
I don't really want to talk to anybody in the elevator, but you know what? I'm on the Packers practice squad. Like, he'd probably get a thrill to meet a Packer <laughs> player. I was like, hey, how are you doing? Good morning. I'm Matt. And he's like, hey, I'm Bart. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is Bart Starr. Like, <laughs> uh, it was like a thrill of a lifetime for me, but just how arrogant was I in the early morning? How quickly do you flip that, that view of, of who you are in life, right? You're like, oh, man, this is a little different around Lambeau Field. Oh, uh, it was. Ter- I was at Brett Favre's golf tournament and had an early flight out the next morning. So it was. Uh, I should have really known like, where I was, but uh, but no. Just getting back to that that game. You know, I think another thing that was super cool to me, and this is like a weird thing that maybe this was just like uh, when Mike Holmgren would go back to San Francisco. That was the biggest game. You know, because he was he used to coach there. He was from there. Like that was the biggest game on our schedule for him. And therefore it was big for us. And so it was almost like they were running the same offense as us, too. They were running the West Coast offense with whoever was there, Mariucci or Jim Mora. And we were all running the same plays against each other. And, and I saw DK Metcalf. In a similar way, like Pete Carroll used to coach in San Fran. I think he maybe isn't from that area. He is. Too. Yeah. He talked about it after the game. It's, it, it, it's personal to him when he goes to San Francisco. Yeah, and so what I thought was so cool was that the DK Metcalf touchdown, it's this play, you know, people call it different things, but it's an empty formation, and they call it a stick nod backside slop, like slant option. And Terrell Owens used to just crush us with this play. Like he's backside on a linebacker usually, and he can either run a slant or run a slant option. And it takes a good amount of, like, savvy in that slot role to run this play. And DK, just like kind of like we've been talking about all year, backs out a stick-knot slot, Russell hits him perfectly, and just just the explosiveness and just kind of, like, undefendableness, if that's even a word, yeah. of him in that role with this bread-and-butter, like, Joe Montana, Steve Young, Jeff Garcia, like they've been running that play forever. And for the Seahawks to do it on them in San Fran, it was just like uh, kind of brought a smile to my face. DK's move was pretty sweet. Yeah, but you can't – that's the funny thing. It's got to like – you can't rush it. And and I don't know for sure what they call it, but we called it a slop slant option. Like you can run the slant and keep going. Or if the guy walls you off because he knows what you're going to do, uh, he walls you off, you can just return and run it kind of like an option. It's it's like it's, – it's so great because now people are going to be practicing against that. And <laughs> if they try to stop it, like, like what would have stopped it last time, it won't work the next time because he's got freedom in the route. So I just – uh, I don't know. I thought was that was sort of a highlight for me. And again, I, uh, one another great play by Russell. The other uh, Russ play that that you, you mentioned briefly. We're talking about Hasselbeck as we do here every Wednesday from nine to ten. Uh, was the one he ran for the touchdown. It was a sixteen yard run. We saw afterwards it was like the second fastest he had run in the last couple of years. He's lost a little bit of weight. You know, I, I know I know you were not the Russell Wilson running quarterback, but how hard is it to as you get up there in years in the in NFL years to get back into that kind of shape to to be able to run like that. Yeah, I think an interesting thing about how the NFL season goes is you do a lot of speed work in the off season, speed work and conditioning, obviously lifting and playing football. As the season gets going though, you get away from speed work. You still do conditioning, you still do lifting, you still do you know, you're obviously playing, but sometimes speed work gets uh, just left by the wayside. And, uh, you know, that was one of the things I saw Andrew Luck did really well when I was in Indianapolis is Andrew Luck was a similar – he's a very, very good runner, kind of like Russell, but, but kind of a powerful runner more than a fast runner. Like, I'm sure they both have good 40 times. 
But Andrew was very, um, I thought, just very intelligent about how he continued to do speed work mm. at least one day a week, you know, through the months of November, December, January. Uh, and that doesn't have so much to do with age as it does just the grind of the season. If the last time you did speed work was the end of July, like then you're not training that fast twitch. Uh, you know, like he's not doing those kinds of runs at practice. That's why it doesn't surprise me at all sometimes when I see a quarterback like pull a calf muscle or something like that. He just hasn't been doing it. So, uh, you know, would you I, I do a Russell lot of great. speed work yourself? Uh, I I just kind of followed. I never really was really part of my thing. But when I got to Indianapolis and at that point in my career, I mean, I ended there when I was 40 something years old. I think I was 40 years old. It was I saw that I felt the value of it. I said, oh, shoot, like there, there's major, major value in this. Mm-hmm. And then I started having like flashbacks to like, you know, the the pitcher that can't throw the ball to first base. Like, why can't he do that? Like, he doesn't do that much, you know, or like guys can't fall on a fumble recovery. I think back when I was with Pete Carroll in Seattle, I think every Thursday, like every position group had to practice diving on fumbles. And they, at the time, there were a lot of guys that were kind of like, well, this is silly. I mean, I could do this when I was 11. Well, guess what? If you haven't done it in 12 years, mm. you're going to look like a non-athlete when you go to dive on a football. And and a fumble recovery can make or break a game, as you know. So I, I just I think it's important to practice the things that might actually come up in a game like that did. You know, they ran a, a flood concept to the right no, and man coverage. Nobody is over to the left. And instead of it being a, a good gain, it's a huge, huge touchdown. Mm. Uh, the other thing I saw this week was uh, Marshawn. Lynch is going to be the new NFLPA brand ambassador. Did you see that yesterday? <laughs> I, I, did, I did see that. Is it just the mere mention of Marshawn's name that evokes a little <laughs> chuckle? Because it seems to be, certainly with anybody who would have played with him like you did, it seems like a perfect job for Marshawn, no? <laughs> I'd love to know what he's getting paid for that. That's uh, it's fascinating. He was a great teammate and a lot of fun. I, I, I loved playing with him. We traded for him in October and went and played the Bears yeah. in Chicago. And uh, I don't think he had a lot of yards that day, but he brought something so special to our team. And, and Pete nailed it. And, and when he tra- when he traded for him, you know, he got up. He basically put him in front of the team. And he was like, Marshawn Lynch, I have wanted to coach you since the moment I first saw you when you were at Oakland Tech. And I was at USC. And I tried so hard to get you. And I couldn't get you. And I took this job in the NFL. And the first thing I wanted to do is I wanted to go get that guy from Oakland Tech. And he traded for him from the Buffalo Bills. And, uh, you know, he just he kind of exactly fit, like, a little bit of the identity that, that Pete wanted to have on offense. And he knew as a, as a defensive coach how hard it was to tackle him. But I wasn't sure how he was going to be as a teammate. And uh, I, I loved I – loved, uh, Was he shy off the bat? Or, or, like, did it take him time to kind of turn into Marshawn Lynch that we know? Or was it like that kind of right off the bat? He was shy, but uh, his – I want to say, like, one of the guys in his wedding – was Justin Forsett, the other running right. back from yes. Cal that we had, who yep. was like maybe the most amazing, impressive human being that I've probably been teammate shared a locker room with. He's just an amazing guy. So because he had that relationship with Forsett, and because Pete had brought in a lot of Pac-12 guys, a lot of USC guys, there was a lot of mutual respect. Mm. And then the offensive, uh, sorry, the running back coach at the time was Sherman Smith, the former Seahawks running back, who was again just a salt of the earth kind of just great guy mentor leader and uh we, we just we had a really great running back room and i think we had a a really good locker room so he was he fit in very nicely and and pete said hey marshawn i don't need you to be anything else besides marshawn you just be marshawn 
and uh and that made perfect sense to him. I was going back last night, and, and I actually rewatched the highlights from the New Orleans uh, playoff game that you won with the Beastquake. So a couple of things. First of all, you had four touchdown passes in that game. Like, all anybody remembers is the Beastquake. You had four touchdown passes in that game. Mm. Well, welcome to my life. Gosh, you have no respect. <laughs> it's, all, it's terrible. It's all, nah, it was, hey, th- I, I have just psyched that I was on the field for the greatest run in well, the We're going to get history. to that. I won't, we'll get to the run in just a moment. But you... You were on the field. You had a, a beautiful pass to Brandon Stokely, who I know you were hanging out with this week in New England, right? You had a pass yeah. to Mike Williams, who I didn't even remember was still doing his thing at that point, and two to John Carlson. So the funny thing is that week we're getting ready. We're 7-9. and nine. We won the division, but everyone's like, you're 7-9. and nine. You don't deserve to go to the playoffs, and you certainly don't deserve to host a playoff game. And you definitely shouldn't make the defending world champs, Drew Brees and company, come all the way out to South Alaska to play a football game. Like, no one was on our side. Nobody. <laughs> and our offensive coordinator at the time, Jeremy Bates, comes into the offensive meeting room, and he's like, listen. We are not as good as this team. We will never beat this team unless we use smoke and mirrors. And that's what he said to us. Tried to, like, fire us up. And everyone, I think, just kind of got, like, a little upset. Like, <laughs> what did you just say? But I'm sitting there nodding my head. And I'm like, uh, yeah, exactly. So what do you got for us? So we tried. We had played the Saints earlier that year. And we actually did pretty well against them. But they were just um, a little bit, like, one step ahead. And so we tried to take a couple things that they were good at and make them pay, basically. And the two touchdown passes to John Carlson were great examples of maybe just a heavy, heavy play fake that we hadn't done in a while. Um, maybe just kind of getting them into formations. But the two touchdowns to Stokely and to Mike Williams, neither one was designed to go to that guy. Um, I think we were trying to throw like little option routes underneath and, you know, we had just kind of had this like, hey, what do we got to lose? Cut it loose. Let's play fearless. Let's get that swagger back. Let's get, you know, and we just fed off the crowd. We fed off of all of it, the seven and nine, all of it. And uh, really, really fun. And Brandon Stokely was a very fast, fast receiver. People didn't know that about him. Probably our fastest guy that year, maybe. And then Mike Williams was not fast. No. He might have been, you know, big boy, 250, man. 250 pounds. But Pete Carroll gave me great advice going into that year with Mike. He was like, listen, this is, you're not going to run, throw this guy like runaways. You're just going to give him opportunities. Mm. And, uh, and I, and I just never really forgot it. And and Mike came up huge for us uh, in that game for for sure. Well, and then obviously what people will remember, and you talk about the crowd being into it, you had an unbelievable view when this happened right here. Uh, yeah. Goes well, in motion right to left. Turn and handle into left side. Finds a little bit of a hole. Keep his legs moving. He's across the 40. Midfield. 45. He's on the run winch. 40. Pushes the man. 35. Look at him go. He's down to 20. 15. He could go. He is going to go. Touchdown, Seahawks. Oh, my word. A 67-yard run. Marshawn Lynch. And what people don't know, you nearly beat him into the end zone. You were right there. You almost, you almost got to the end zone before Marshawn. <laughs> I, I almost got a, a block in the back penalty too. <laughs> no, so we were trying to be a zone, a zone outside zone, inside zone team that year, and uh, Marshawn 
that wasn't his his love. His love was uh, gap schemes, pulling guards, power. He was always asking for power. That play right there was called 17 power. Um, you know, basically one back, kind of in the seven hole on the left side, and and uh, and and anyway, we finally got it called, and he we didn't block it right, of course. That's probably why it never got called. And it just was an incredible effort by Marshawn, and then an incredible effort by everybody else getting downfield. But that was a surreal moment uh, for sure. And you know, I think my kids did like a a book report on the seismic activity after that. Like when we had left Seattle, we were talking like, oh no, there's this beast quake game, and you know, scientists measured seismic, uh, you know, earthquake activity, and these teachers were like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's there's no way that's true. And we're like, no, I, I actually promise you, it's true. And we were there, and anyone that was there knows, you know, how incredible that moment was. It was so loud. I was in the press box for it. I actually remember going down afterwards into the locker room and seeing you out on the field uh, with your kids, kind of playing catch after that game out on the field. Uh, and then I remember talking to Brandon Stokely. It was that was a surreal is the perfect description because it what the team was seven and nine right I mean it was was it Charlie Whitehurst against Mark Bulger in the final game of that year isn't that what happened yeah I uh I actually did not play the game before I right. was hurt slash you know coach's decision and you know but uh so to to finish that off and you know the funny what, what thing does that about mean my... hurt slash coach's decision kind of yeah, you know in I between? was like an Id- I was like an idiot you know like if I had an injury like and they would ask me how you know can you go I always the answer was always yes even if I couldn't you know I remember having broken ribs in a game like I couldn't drive my car like literally to go home I was like trying to get home where I didn't have to take a left turn because because my ribs I couldn't turn left I could only turn right and and yet they asked me if I could play that week and I was like yeah I can play but it was just like I think that was the mentality that I took, and then it was like up to the coaches to decide. Now nah, we don't want that version of you, you know. And so okay. for for that week before, you know, I was like, yeah, I can go. And Pete was like, eh, let's let's not. So. Pete had been so impressed by that three three tie or whatever it was against the uh, against Cleveland earlier that year, he had to get Charlie back out there. I'm not sure, but I, you know, one thing about my kids being on the field, they had never, ever done that in my entire NFL career. They'd never been on the huh. field, and that ended up being my last ever Seahawks home game, and you know, I wasn't thinking that this was going to be my last year in Seattle at the time, uh, but clearly one of the one of my teammates' wives thought, it. hey, this might be it. Like This is probably over for him, and she took my kids down to like the railing there found a police officer who then took my kids onto the field. And then all of a sudden after the game, I'm walking off the field and they're my children right there with me. And I'm like, I do a post game interview and then we're walking in. I've got three kids. I, you know, I don't want to lose them. It was mayhem on the field. <laughs> so I put my son on my shoulders. I give the Marshawn Lynch beast quake ball that I have to my daughter. And then I've got my other daughter there. And then there's, we now as a family have these amazing photos of us kind of like walking off the field. What, what ended up being the last time mm-hmm. ever, uh, at home. And, uh, but I had no idea. And so it was really cool considering that that had never, ever happened. Your before. teammate's wife was probably the one listening to sports radio. She was listening to Brock and Salk <laughs> and was like, I don't know if Matt's going to be back. I think that that might be it for him. These guys are ready to run him out of town. There's probably a lot of truth to that. Actually, <laughs> Good stuff. All right, Matt, we got a whole lot more to do. Uh, we're ranking things as we've done with you every week. Uh, what are we ranking today, Maura? We are ranking uh, the, what is it again? Top five teams that he loves oh, to yes. beat. Yeah, because we saw Brady said this. Brady admitted this week that the team he liked to beat the most was the Giants. 
because they had beaten him in the Super Bowl a couple of times. So top five teams, especially with a rivalry game with the Rams this week, top five teams that you love to beat. We'll do that coming up in 20 minutes. I know you were at Foxborough this week for Brady Belichick. I want to talk to you about that and some more good stories. All with Matt Hasselbeck. Don't go anywhere. It is the Matt Hasselbeck Show here on 710 ESPN Seattle. The Matt Hasselbeck Show, presented by Infinity of Bellevue and Linwood. Every Wednesday from 9 to 10. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Continuing on here with Matt Hasselbeck for the next half hour. Do this every Wednesday. It's the Matt Hasselbeck Show here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Before we uh, kind of buzz around the NFL a little bit, Rams this weekend. You mentioned you like a short week. What do you think of this Rams team? Hmm. They're really good. I mean, their defense is great. Their D-line's amazing. Aaron Donald might be the best player in the league, offense or defense, at any position. He's really special. And then they've got unsung heroes. You know, they've got, like, Cooper Cup as an example. Uh, Matthew Stafford has a great chemistry and rapport with him already. But they got weapons all over that offense. So, Sean McVay, that offense, I mean, they're... they're uh, what is it? What makes that offense work? There's so much about it. And, like, you see all these, like, uh, Sean McVay disciples getting hired all around the country. Shoot, I mean, Shane Waldron, you know, they the Seahawks hired him because that's just a sign of respect for how hard it is to go up against this Sean McVay offense. But I think one of the sneaky things that they do is they don't, they don't give up a lot of sacks. And how they do it is really, really creative. They change the launch point of the quarterback so much. Most quarterbacks are seven and a half yards right behind the center, just about on every play. But like without necessarily running naked bootlegs, they're using play action to not only have more time to throw, but maybe instead of set up behind the center, uh, Matthew Stafford set up in between the guard and the tackle. And like you don't even hardly notice it. The ball will be on the left hash, and he's throwing it almost from the right hash, and you don't even actually even notice it. So hmm. he, stuff like that, and then also just finding finding the mismatches. I think Sean McVay is the, the absolute best at that. Yeah, they took a chance there going with the young guy, and I, and I know they got kind of ripped for it at the time, but it, it, I never understood why people were so down on it. I mean, Theo Epstein took over as the GM of the Red Sox at 29 or what, 27, 29, whatever it was. And it, the NFL needs so much innovation. Why wouldn't you go look for young guys to do it? Well, when he got hired, I think he was his whole job was to fix Todd Gurley and Jared Goff. Fix Goff and Gurley, fix Goff and Gurley, and then mm-hmm. you'll it'll be a success. And he's been so much more than that. So this is uh this is obviously a huge rivalry game in the in the NFC, but also in the NFC West and and now he's got the talent to go with it. But I think the pressure's on him this year. He went and kicked uh, Jared Goff to the curb and gave up a ton to get Matthew Stafford. So uh, you know, not not winning this division would be would you know really really be a bad look on him for as talented as they are uh i think that would be the team on paper that you would say should win this division and you know if they don't win tonight um they're you know they're not even uh you know they're not in position to do that i'm guessing you're a matt stafford guy just because all the quarterbacks i talk to seem to just think the world of him i i I, i'm not because the guys never won a playoff game but i'm guessing you like stafford like I, I, there's a lot of guys that I like that d- that doesn't mean that you can just abandon your decision making and fundamentals though. And so uh, sometimes I'll see Matthew Stafford and I'll, I'd say I need to clip this footage right here and show it to every quarterback that I see because this is amazing. And then there's other times where I've seen him and there's an interception where a guy's wide open and it's like ah like th- this is this is just not getting it done. This is not going to cut it. So. It, 
it's the same guy. It's not that I dislike the guy, but there are some just really amazing plays, and then there's some things that, uh, you know, you just need to get cleaned up, especially at this point point in your career. But he's uh, he's been on a tear. You know, they did not look great against Arizona uh, last week. So, you know, th- I'm interested to see how the Seattle game goes. These guys know each other really well, and uh, I would say he needs to have a good game. This is a defense in Seattle that's been struggling, but looked a lot better against San Fran. So, a uh, short week, you just never know what's going to happen. This is uh, He's got all the weapons, though. The, the excuses are out the window of, well, I used to play in Detroit. Right. Th- that excuse is gone. Well, and you've seen some of these moments, like the Shane Waldron going against the Rams. I mean, you've talked a little bit about Andy Reid and, and guys between Green Bay and Philadelphia and sort of being familiar with each other, right? For sure. And, and Gerald Everett being on the Seahawks now. And, you know, I was just telling my son the other day we were watching uh, we were watching the game and now they mic up the offensive linemen. So you can hear everything that the quarterback says. And, you know, for an example, like you'll hear a quarterback say Monday, Monday, Monday. That means the snap counts on one Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. It's on two Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. It's on a quick count. It's like those little, little nuances that you're in the playbook, so to speak. So now if I'm sharing that with my new teammates or like the new team that I'm on, like how much of an advantage is that? Like making the team change their audibles coming into the week, or maybe they use it to their advantage and they say, Hey guys, I'm going to get up there and I'm going to say Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. And it's bogus. You know, it's just a total dummy signal. And they go Sunday, Sunday, said, and then it's a free first down on third and five. You know, it's like, it's those types of things. That's like the game within the game that when you get, you know, someone that used to be with the Rams is now in Seattle. And then the two teams play each other. How is that going to go down? Mm. And uh, that, that for me, that's really fun to watch. Uh, I know you were at uh, Foxborough this past week for Brady and Belichick and the, the big moment there. What, what did you make of what you saw there? Well, a lot of fanfare. You know, I thought going into it, I thought the pregame and the introductions were going to be better than the actual game itself. But it turned out to be a great game, a defensive game and terrible, terrible New England weather. Uh, you know, my biggest disappointment and whoever was in charge of this, shame on you. They ran like the video tribute. Like they ran this amazing one minute video tribute for Brady at the stadium, but he wasn't on the field for it. Like he wasn't out yet. So I actually thought like the, the best play for New England was to kind of kill him with kindness. He was going to go in there focused and angry and just ready to, you know, tear it up. And then you just like, you kill him with kindness and, you know, it gets him off his spot a little bit. That happened a little bit when I was in Indiana. I was in Indianapolis. Peyton Manning and the Denver Broncos came back, and they did this long video tribute, and he had his game face on, and then all of a sudden he's tearing up, and he's waving to the crowd, and he's saying, thank you, thank you. And and uh, he just he looked a little more frustrated after that instead of focused. And uh, I don't know. That's When you're going up against a great player, you got to play some of those mind games. But, again, I think he was in the locker room when they played the video tribute. So I thought the crowd. Uh, handled it right though i like i like the idea of cheer him when he's introduced boo him when he goes out on the field and it was a hundred percenter like i live here now and i was going around asking people we did our pregame show there i was asking people i'm like hey any chance brady gets booed and like people were like what what like they were angry with me they were like it's a better chance that belichick gets booed i was like (laughs) okay i mean they're they're uh they're funny but it was it was a really cool really cool moment i got to take my son to the game and uh like you mentioned i was with brandon stokely my old teammate in seattle with his son and uh it was was just a one of those epic epic sporting events that uh you know you, you should remember where you were as a quarterback who had a lot of success in your own career when you look at brady 
is the other than like is there one thing about him that you think has led to all of the the years of sustainable success that he's had? I think his coachability. Like he just has takes this beginner's mindset. Even though he's the best player in a sense on the team, he seems to have been the most coachable. And even when he was in New England, like you listen to his press conferences and and uh, you listen to the coaches that have that have talked to him, not necessarily what they say at the podium, but like when you actually talk to the people and they tell you the truth, uh, every single person will say, I can't believe how competitive he is and I can't believe how coachable he is. Mm. And uh, and that, I think that even at 44 years old with seven rings, that's still the reports that you get out of Tampa. Like, I can't believe um you know, how he sets the tone in terms of coachability. And if he's that way, well, shoot, the, the, the whole rest of the team has to be that way. So either he's the most coachable guy ever or he's the best at making people think that they were coaching him all the while he was getting them to do whatever he wanted them to do himself. But I think, you know, as a six-round pick, pick 199, he's never forgotten that. Yeah. And he came into the league as Drew Bledsoe's backup for a, a while. And, and shoot, he was behind Drew Bledsoe and Damon Hewitt. He was Damon Hewitt's backup. For a while, exactly. And so he started there. You know, he I think he understands how hard it was for him to get to be the starter, and he's never given it up. Yeah. And uh, even when the quarterbacks here were him and Jimmy Garoppolo and Jacoby Brissett and everyone here on talk radio was calling for those two guys and say goodbye to Brady, he's 35 years old or whatever he was, um, you know, he was working aggressively at getting quicker and faster and seeming younger, and that turned into pliability and Alex Guerrero and all this other stuff. And, and uh, he I, again, I just think he's taken kind of a beginner's mentality, even though he's accomplished so much. He is uh, he doesn't seem to work that way. He works as if he's accomplished nothing. Well, he said this week that the Giants were his favorite team to beat, probably because of the two Super Bowl losses he had to the Giants. So we will ask you. Pro- probably. 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 Or let's why. say definitely. <laughs> it definitely comes because of those two games. Eli Manning's just had his number for whatever reason. Uh, so, Matt, the question for you, and we'll answer it next. The five best teams in the NFL to beat ranked. It's coming up. Matt Hasselbeck here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Got a list? Time to put it in order. Fred Dwarmfor's house. Top five. Top five meals that I have ever had. This is ranked. To be honest, that list was really biased. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen. Every morning at 945 on the Mike Salk Show. That top ten list. I'm not buying that. Ranked. Fun to rank things. Fun uh, to have a list, but even more fun when Matt's the one doing it. Matt Hasselbeck with us every Wednesday from 9 to 10. If you missed any of this, you can go back and find the whole thing uh, wherever you get your podcast or at 710sports.com. All right, Matt, here's what we got today. Brady said that uh, the Giants were his favorite team to beat. So with that in mind, your fi- the five best teams to beat in the NFL ranked, starting with number five. All right, well, every active player will just say it's the next game, but I'll just tell you the truth. How's that? <laughs> That's That's yeah, I love yes. it. <laughs> okay, so number five, I'm going New England Patriots for me. And here, you know, I grew up in Boston. My dad played for the Patriots. The problem is, for me, I only played the Patriots one time in my entire career uh, as the starter, and we lost. So, like, that, that, I never really got to fulfill that. And then I threw one interception in that game, and it happened to be the one where Ty Law broke, like, the Patriot franchise record. They stopped the game. They gave him the ball. It was like those commercials you see, someone going through the grocery store. You're buying something embarrassing, and they're like, the one millionth shopper, yay! You know, it's just like, no. Insult like, I hated this play. I knew it was going to be an interception. So, Patriots, number five. That's sad. So, 
You were, didn't the Patriots play here like in a snowstorm? Were you not playing that day? I didn't play. It was 2008. That was like a Matt Castle game. Okay. Just, yeah. I remember that bummer. sort of snowstorm game in Seattle. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. And then so so what, it was a bummer. Yeah, well, that's a tough one, man. You've thrown, you've unfortunately thrown some very memorable interceptions. Yeah. Hey, speaking of that, number four, Green Bay Packers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, you know, people remember that game maybe because of social media, that 03 season wild card game, our first playoff game ever uh, when I was in Seattle. And sure, like, do I wish we won that game? Yeah. Do I regret saying what I said? Heck no, not at all. Nice. Um, it was a great, it was great, it was great experience. But we played the Green Bay Packers so many times in my 10 years in Seattle. And seeming like, seemingly, whether we were there or where, whether we were in Seattle, it felt like it always snowed. And those snow games, uh, for anyone that grew up somewhere where it snows a lot, snow football is like what you did when school was canceled for a snow day. Yep. So to me, those were the great games. And I loved it always means more when you're playing against your friends. And, you know, because that was my previous team, I always loved playing against that team and beating them. It's like uh, it's like beating your brother. It's super. Fun. Had you so, played with Al? Har- I don't mean to like bring up the memory, but had, did you and Al Harris know each other? Did you play together? We played in the Pro Bowl together a couple times after that. And okay. so I have I have actually signed some things for him. Uh, and he's actually coaching for the Dallas Cowboys right now. And those DBs are, are making plays. But they they get their eyes in the backfield just like their coach did so uh <laughs> you know but he's a great he's a great guy and a really smart player not a surprise at all that he's a coach cuz he was uh maybe not as like physically gifted as some other corners but definitely very very smart number 3 okay i'm going with the san francisco 49ers and when we were in the AFC West my first year, that was one thing. We moved to the NFC West, like, immediately we had a geographical rivalry. Never mind the fact that Mike Holmgren, I mentioned earlier, he came from San Fran, and, and he had coached there, and he had, was raised there. He was a teacher there. It, it meant so much to him. And so, like, we had these epic games with them, whether it was, like, the T.O. Sharpie game or, you know, even when we got Pete Carroll as the head coach. Pete had also come from there. It just always seemed like this was a great rivalry game. And my favorite thing to do was to go down there and beat them in San Fran, and we got 12s everywhere in the stands, flags. And as they're filtering out, and all that's left in the stadium is our fans, like, that was just so such an incredible feeling. Uh, so that that's why. Well, I think that, that carried spot. on after you. I mean, obviously Richard Sherman eating the turkey leg on their field. Well, that's pretty <laughs> memorable. I mean, there's so many. There are so many. And uh, just the history of that organization is really pretty special. And we were brand new in the NFC West in, yeah. what was it, 2002? So, so you never played in the old AFC West? No, I did oh, for did. one for one year, so, and it was it just was you know it was a Raiders the, Broncos, the NFC West Chiefs. is yeah, and it was great, but like it was great, but the NFC West was something brand new, kind of brand new rivalries mm-hmm. that uh, that you know that we had we had done. It's and cool the, how we, much it's grown since then, because you're right. The AFC West was sort of long time, but the Seahawks never quite fit some of those old rivalries. Well, I'm sure there were great rivalries, and I don't want to disparage any of that because there there certainly were. But but there was really something that the NFL loved about a geographical rivalry. Yeah. Um, you know, people think San Fran's just like right next door. They have no <laughs> idea how far it actually is. <laughs> but yeah, they never but come to, out to, here to, to find out. No, they don't. The people in New York City, they're like, oh yeah, Seattle, San Fran, right there. I just I'll just hop down. All right, okay. number two. Number two, so kind of sticking with this NFC West thing, 
for us, it was the greatest show on turf in the St. Louis Rams. And, like, that was the team that we could not beat. Mentioned, uh, you know, losing on the last game in wild card. That, and I think it was 04, the year before we went to the Super Bowl for the first time. We could not beat the Rams. We could beat everybody. We could just, it just seemed like the greatest show on turf had our number. And it became this great rivalry game. They had this dome that was so loud. They had AstroTurf. They were so fast on it. Uh, you know, I remember the first time we beat them, the Cardinals had played the day before, like, and went into like a late game. And the next day, their crowd was like lethargic, probably hung over. I was like, we need to schedule these guys all the time after the Cardinals played the night before in a late one. So that was uh, when we were able to get over the hump. I mean, we, we, we played them like twice a year since like Oh two. And it was just like great, great, yeah. great games. I remember Jerry Rice having big games or, you know, JP Darsh, our long snapper recovering a fumble. It's just like some epic games that, uh, people maybe have forgotten, but uh, I, I certainly have not. They were fun. I didn't think J.P. Darsh's name would come up today, so there you uh, go. All right. Merci beaucoup, J.P. Darsh. Number one. Number one's got to be, for me, has got to be the Pittsburgh Steelers. And, you know, similar to what Tom Brady said with the New York Giants, I, you know, we lost to them in Super Bowl Forty. Don't really feel like we should have. We did not play our best football that day. And uh, so they're the champs. But that, that was a tough one to swallow. And uh, I actually – didn't really get another opportunity to play them until I had gone, or the, the one I remember anyway, I had gone to the Tennessee Titans, and we played them on a Thursday night game. And again, I was so glad to get Dick LeBeau and the Steelers on a Thursday night because they had to probably simplify. They couldn't bring all their extra crazy blitzes. And, uh, and I just remember to get us into field goal range. I hit Jared Cook. I knew they were coming. They blitzed. Jared Cook, who's now playing for the Chargers, playing well. Hit him, got us into field goal range, and you would have thought we won the Super Bowl that night the way that I was <laughs> celebrating. It was just, just a Thursday night oh. game with some random Midwest team. It meant but, something to you, uh, though. It meant a lot to me. So uh, I can I can sympathize with what Brady's saying. That's great. Well, and they love their – those are good football fans, obviously, in Pittsburgh, too. So all right, And Matt, they travel. And they travel. So it felt – we were home, but it didn't feel like we were the home team. So we got to go. We got we to make way here for Jake and Stacey. We'll do it again next Wednesday. If you missed any of Matt today, again, go uh, find your podcast, wherever you get your podcast, or at 710sports.com. Matt, uh, short week, as we said. So Seahawks tonight, and we'll talk more uh, a week from today on Wednesday. Let's do it. All right, there we go. There's Matt Hasselbeck. We'll be back with you guys tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Uh, Jer- uh, we're going to have Jerry Depoto on the show. Lots to talk about with him tomorrow at 8.30. So we will talk to you then. See ya.